And welcome back, everyone, to Answers for Elders Radio. And I am here again with Daphne Davis, and we're here talking about the things that our families sometimes are afraid to talk about. So um, I hope that you're listening with an open heart and certainly willing to hang in there with us as we talk about these difficult times of facing end of life. And we are here, of course, joined with our wonderful Daphne Davis from Pinnacle Senior Placements. And welcome back, Daphne. Well, thank you so much. You know, we talked a little bit about personal stories and about healthcare directives and all those things, kind of the general your story. But uh, there's a lot of families out there that they may be have, you know, may have a parent that's had a diagnosis, all of a sudden they realize it's terminal of some sort, maybe it's a long-term situation, maybe it's a short-term situation. Um, So I guess my question is, where do we start with all this? Very good question. Um, I'm going to go back to Margaret and what I with you. Because we live, I live in Washington and my husband, you know, my husband and I live in Washington and Margaret's in Colorado with her daughter and her Mm -hmm. her husband. And it has been a conversation for quite some time about helping Margaret. Now, along with the disease processes that I mentioned earlier, she also, because of those disease processes, has been experiencing multiple falls. And some of them have been pretty catastrophic, um, requiring a partial hip replacement, having, um, you know, skin tears, um, massive healing have to happen. (laughs) limitations in her movement, Um, and so there have been signs that are going on, and so I want to talk a little bit about the signs and and how do you know when you should start having this conversation. So we started having this conversation about six months ago with Margaret, and it was very gentle. It was more about what her highest values were, and her through that conversation, we discovered her highest value was to be to remain independent. Uh-huh. She has a very strong personality. Um, she is very self-sufficient. Her husband had died 13 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, and so she has learned a new set of skills. Um, she doesn't like to be a bother to anyone. Uh, right down to it's clearly painful for her to lift up her arm to have a bite of food, but she's like, I'll switch to my left. Her sentence to me was, I have to learn how to do this. I'll do it with my left hand. Uh, That's Margaret's personality. And so that was... Yeah, and especially with Parkinson's, because getting the brain... And I I can just imagine having CLPD with a vascular situation, that's obviously been contributing to it. Um, you have to almost retrain your brain. And sometimes there's enough that I know about Parkinson's. Sometimes your brain isn't connecting with your motor skills. That's right. Margaret wanted to be very independent. Some people are are a little, and I'm going to use this word appropriately, a little more graceful at allowing help. So Margaret wanted to be independent. Well, consequently, to that end, she did have horrific falls. And she was living in independent and assisted living um, during this process. I would encourage families to really get connected with the director of nursing services if your loved one is living in a community. Mm -hmm. Whether that be independent living, assisted living, memory care, some kind of residential care, like an adult family home or something. Makes sense, yeah. Be in communication. And I would encourage the family to listen to what they have to say in terms of services. 
-hmm. listen to their perspective because remember, you are probably a relative to this person, a son, a daughter, a spouse, most often, and you have preconceived ideas. You've been with Rachel for your duration of most of your life. And to have somebody look at things from an outside perspective is so valuable. And then your mind and heart to be open to say, I wonder if that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. I wonder if mom is really saying to me, I need more help, but she doesn't know how to say the word. True. I, well, I think I think one of the things that you're saying too comes back on whoever that person is that has healthcare directive. You need to have these conversations of how can I honor you in the best way. So uh, you're entrusting me, mom, dad, husband, wife, with this responsibility, and I want to honor that in the place where you. It's not my value system; it's yours. And I think when you talk about values, that is so so incredibly important because I learned way quick when I was taking care of my mom, her values were different than mine. Mm -hmm. Right. I knew that over time and I had to learn to step into what would mom want, not what would I want, which are two entirely different things. And I think that's the thing that we start with. Right. Yes, it is. At the same time, I would ask Margaret, even, um, you know, I saw her last Thursday and she, we flew into Denver. We saw her, um, we had a nice conversation. She was clearly in pain, Mm -hmm. clearly struggling. Mm -hmm. And I would ask her, what can I do for you? And Margaret would say, I don't know, Daphne. And she'd be a little frustrated. And I, you know, I was like, Margaret, what just happened? Her body would freeze up. She would stop breathing. Margaret, can you tell me what just happened? And she's like, no. Well, I didn't quite know how to work through that with her. She just kept saying, I don't know. Yeah. And a light bulb went on. And I finally said to her, I said, Margaret, just tell me what you're feeling. Tell me if you're uncomfortable. It's not your job to have the solutions. It's my job wow. to find out what the solutions can be. And that's, that's the shift that happens when you are on palliative or hospice care, is that we should not know all the options. We should not no. know about a spray that creates more saliva or it's a, a synthetic saliva in your mouth so your mouth isn't dry or how to keep your skin from sticking together in your mouth or how to put pillows around you so that you're not feeling pressure. That's not our job to know. No. That's the expert's job. But it is our job to say, my heel on my left foot is aching. Mm-hmm. And then they come up with the solution. Yeah. My tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth. They come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. You tell me, I mean, Margaret said to me, Daphne, water's not working anymore. And so all I did was say that to the hospice nurse. And she came with a solution just like that. Wow, so, that's amazing. Yes, I encourage you to, to have people not have to have the solution. Mm-hmm. Just tell me where you're at. Mm-hmm. Tell me that I, I really need to talk to somebody about my faith. I need to talk to my son that's in Indianapolis. Right. Uh, and they'll come up with the solutions rather than you going, I can't even dial that phone. How could I possibly do this? Well, now, and what you're saying is so important because there's a lot of families that are listening that may not be to the point where you were with Margaret yet, that these conversations could be happening of, you know, number one, do your research on whatever 
they're dealing with. So you have an idea of what the progression may be. And it's always different than what the typical is. But just for that reason, um, just understand that piece. And then the other side of it, which I think is really important, is this whole piece of um, just having that conversation in the very beginning with, I remember having that conversation with my mom about the end of her life and even her final wishes. I said, what do you want? And it was very different than what I was going to think she wanted. No, she did not want a traditional funeral. And I was kind of, I thought, well, we did one for your sister, your two sisters. They had a regular funeral. No, I don't want that. I, I, mom was like, nope, I want everybody to go out onto a yacht and throw pink roses into the water and, and have a, a, a toast with absolute vodka. You know, that was her favorite. And I thought, okay, mom, that's what we'll do. And that's what she wanted. Okay. Yeah. She did not want the big uh, um, ceremony, you know, and, and more and more, I think about it. My mom was not an outgoing person. She didn't, she had her circle of friends. And again, but those, I'm so glad I had that conversation because yeah. I would have planned guilt spent because I didn't prepare in advance. Right. Um, at a traditional funeral that she didn't, wouldn't have wanted. And this is the thing I think that we tend to avoid these conversations with our loved ones. And then when we get to the point, like with Margaret, it's kind of hard now, how are you feeling? Which, you know, that's important too, but to have the education and the knowledge that you have, most of our families don't have that. No. And, and we did start those conversations. I would say when your heart is moved to ask the questions that are hard, push yourself to ask them. I mean, my mom and I, my mom is 76 young, and my mom and I have this conversation, and I know she wants a traditional um, funeral, but I ask her, what hymns do you want at your funeral? You know, I know you love music. Write them down, please. And we need to celebrate this time. I mean, I can envision it being more celebratory than mournful um, Mm -hmm. because we've gone through this. And you can give your family that gift. Yeah. Yeah. You can give them that gift. Yeah. It's it's also a, a really important piece when you're living in a community of care to not assume particular things in terms of what care looks like. Now, Margaret, remember, she's independent. She doesn't want to be a father. And my language is she's behind a closed door at an assisted living. During the time of COVID, that even means more isolation. Um, And so she was trying to do everything herself. Now, she could have been pushing that button or pulling the string to help her get to the bathroom, to help her get, you know, her glass of water in the kitchen. But Margaret wanted to get her walker. She wanted to have her her oxygen cord laying all around her and try to pay attention to not trip on it. She was independent. But at the same time, there is a way that you can have the care staff be involved in her life without her feeling hovered over. Right. And so it was definitely a dance that I would have done Mm -hmm. um, on site because I have the knowledge to be able to say, can someone check in on her every two hours? Can we subtly get Margaret on a toileting schedule? You know, can we help monitor her body functions so that we mitigate some of the risk that she's taking? Yeah. Margaret doesn't have to say, okay, now I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. No, 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 no. It can be very casual and just say, hey, Margaret, I was walking down the hallway, wanted to stop in. 
you know, I'm, I'm here. I would love to help you with anything that you need, give some suggestions, et cetera. Yeah. And I think that's really important that we talk a little bit more about what's available out there in this next hour. So everyone, Daphne will be right back right after this. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.